Good day. Uh, it is my pleasure to uh, in, introduce you to our um, 174th webinar. This is our 147, uh, 174th uh, month in a row that we've had uh, uh, the opportunity of uh, speaking with you. I'm Charles Denham. Our topic today is um, safer holidays and safer families. And we've just got a wonderful group to uh, share their thoughts with you today. Uh, I'm going to move very quickly. We've got such great speakers that I'm going to move very quickly through our usual program. For those of you that are attending with us live, this is almost a studio audience because we're now building our programs for uh, widespread uh, dissemination. And many of you have heard that our, our purpose, mission, and values are critically important to us. Our purpose is that we will measure our success by how we protect and enrich the lives of families patients and caregivers. And today, as we head into the holidays, this is definitely a, a topic where we can have enormous impact with the advice of uh, the speakers that we have today. Our mission is to accelerate performance solutions that save lives, save money, and create value in the communities we serve. And our core values, we, we learned the value of core values from Ann Rhodes, the co-founder of JetBlue, who taught us that uh, really the, these core values should be lived, should be breathed, and should be acted upon every day. And ours spell I care, integrity, compassion, accountability, reliability, and entrepreneurship. Uh, we have no nothing to disclose by any of our speakers today. No product, service, or technology will be discussed. We receive no money directly, indirectly, or in an affiliated manner from device or pharmaceutical companies in healthcare. For those of you that are logging on uh, uh, today, and those of you that want to come back and see additional resources and extended videos of our content, you can go uh, to uh, medtech.org, www.medtech.org. You can look at our speaker bios, and we will have more extended uh, content today um, because uh, uh, we really can't cover everything in the 90 minutes that we have planned with our studio audience. Um, it's my pleasure to have Jenny Dingman introduce us and set our course today. We always start our webinars, and we've done this for many years, with the voice of the patient, whether we're educating caregivers or educating the general public. Uh, Jenny, would you please uh, open us today? Jenny is a, is a published author. Uh, she is a patient advocate after having a medical error in her family, and she's one of a small team of us that get together every other Saturday that had the opportunity of uh, generating uh, impact uh, through the, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid uh, in their pay for performance program that saved billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of lives. And without Jenny's steadfast support, I'm sure that would not have been possible. Jenny? Thank you so much, Dr. Denham, for having me here today. I'm really excited about today's program. Um, we're gonna be talking about holidays and gatherings and families and um, how our chief family officer is going to coordinate everything and keep us all safe through the holiday season. This is going to be a great webinar, and I want to thank everybody for being here today. I'll hand it back to you, Dr. Denham. Thank, thank you, Jenny. And uh, we, we are so blessed to have such a, a, a terrific group with us today uh, who will uh, uh, speak to you. 
uh, we will have a main speaker, uh, Dr. Robert Katzer, who is an emergency medicine doctor and leader, uh, Dr. Greg Boats, who is a, a critical care doctor and uh, professor uh, both at Stanford Medical Center as well as the University of Texas. Uh, we'll have uh, Chief Bill Adcox, who will be speaking to us uh, live today uh, from Houston, Texas, Heather Foster, who's a, a nurse preventionist, my son, Charlie Denham, pre-recorded a message last night. He's already at school. We're, we're really thrilled to have John Nance, the best-selling author, uh, who is both a JD and a former captain uh, with one of our main airlines, who's also a advisor to ABC Good Morning America. We have David Morris, who's uh, one of our real champions for uh, professional first responders. We'll uh, mention a video by Gunita uh, Singh, who's a JD as well, who will comment on the legal aspects of having a medical power of attorney, and you can watch her extended video, as well as that by Paul uh, uh, Bhatia. And we have Mr. David Besh live today from uh, here in Southern California to address the issues of the chief uh, uh, family officer, the CFO, an award-winning educator and terrific champion and the leader of our, our school program for MedTap. So uh, just a quick background, uh, the MedTech program started in 2015, and we co-founded it with Chief Adcox, who's uh, on live today, and also Dr. Boats and my son, Charlie, to focus on the eight leading causes of death that generate 110,000 deaths a year that can be prevented by bystanders learning just a few skills uh, that can help uh, patients and family members before EMS arrives. We have a number of articles that have been published in Campus Safety Magazine, and up, an upcoming one will be addressing a topic that we'll cover today. We covered uh, family plans uh, as well, and you'll hear a little bit about the story about Mr. how Mr. Besh was a life-saving um, uh, contributor to our program. We're going to have a lot of fun here over the holidays, and we're going to give you a bit of a tease today. There are a number of movies that we've all enjoyed over the years, and we're going to use video clips, not today, but we will be using them as we're educating uh, students, college students, scouts, seniors, uh, and help uh, try to um, engage them in the discussion. And we just in our green room, we talked about a wonderful quote uh, that we'll have uh, uh, Chief Adcox uh, requote for us in our live session about how important it is to engage people. But uh, we really will have some fun uh, as we develop more programs here over the holidays, addressing Groundhog Day, um, uh, the National Lampoon Vacation, Christmas Vacation, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Animal House. And so we want you to come back to our website and watch some of those programs. Well, so Groundhog Day, where are we? Well, you know, it feels like we're back in the holidays with the same old story. We've all got COVID fatigue, but what is new for 2022? Aerosol spread, the high transmission uh, uh, variants that have struck uh, our country and the world, the great impact of vaccines, and we really have lost the game for herd immunity. We're not talking about that failure, but that really is kind of a, a, an issue that we're just going to have to accept. In terms of families and family transmission, our 1,000 uh, family study really revealed and confirmed that the Achilles heel for us is in family transmission. We know that family plans really will work with families working together and that there really will be a new normal of endemic uh, the, what the term we use for uh, in, med in medicine and public health endemic, this pandemic will be endemic, meaning we're going to have to live with this for some time. 
the family plan, we, we will just touch on, but you will be able to watch the longer video on the website regarding the five R's and read our article, readiness, response, rescue, recovery, and resilience are our five R's of, the of, of putting a family plan together. And we're thrilled to have Mr. David Besh uh, really being able to highlight for us now that we head into this next, the second holiday season um, with these family plans that we've put together, how the chief family officers can address where we're heading. And he and Charlie Denham uh, will address the family lifeguard program and the and the uh, and what we call the, uh, the the lifeguard or holiday huddle. So uh, what about safer travel? That'll be a core uh, discussion today from Dr. Katzer. Um, we're never going to be totally safe. We have to just uh, recognize the fact that it, we can only work at being safer. It's just like a car ride. You're never going to be 100% safe, but we, we do know that we can definitely be safer. Uh, we can do certain things to make our air travel safer. We can do things that can make our train uh, and public transport safer as we are moving around in the holidays. And there are even things we can do in our cars when we are when we're um, when we're moving around with other people and we might be uh, car sharing or we might uh, have kids that uh, are carpooling. What are the things that we can do or need to know about that? And then finally, we'll finish with a checklist that we've been working on and we got the idea from a mom who had lost her son, who was a freshman that went to college, uh, and a four-point checklist, not only for our singles who are going to college and our seniors in college, but also our seniors, and the fact that everyone needs a medical power of attorney, that you can do things on your smartphone to notify family members, uh, and that you um, there, there are things that we can know about the communities that we're traveling to, to know where to go for emergency responders, and then being able to have medical, re re uh, medical record access. So this issue of aerosol spread. Well, the, the, the Groundhog Day issue is there are all kinds of charts that are addressing everything under the sun regarding uh, what, what you can do that is safer. They all, they all, they all revolve around the four pillars of, uh, of social distance, hand washing, uh, uh, the cleaning of high contact surface and masking. But now we know an awful lot more about aerosol spread. So what's new for 2022? If whether I'm vaccinated or not, can I catch it? Can I spread it? Can I get sick? And can I get long haul disease? And the answer is, whether you're vaccinated or not, the answer is absolutely yes. And there's a lot of misinformation out there right now, but it's critical to really understand that no matter whether you're vaccinated or not, um, it's not a free, it's not a get out of jail free card uh, to be able to, uh, uh, to be vaccinated and not to maintain these four pillars. It's because of the aerosol spread. And we'll be moving quickly to hear from Mr. Besh, but then we'll loop back and we'll actually show uh, a great video from the Washington Post that addresses uh, this, issue, this issue. They've used infrared cameras now to monitor your exhalation and actually look at aerosol spread. Basically, the fast way to remember what aerosol spread is about is that large droplets are going to land nearby and near your body and on contact surfaces. You might touch them and you might touch your face, but less than five nanometers or one or five thousandths of a meter droplets will dry out in the air. That's where evaporation exceeds gravity and they'll just sit and float in the air. And this is what has uh, has really led to the deaths of uh, so many of our American families. Uh, we literally have 745,000 deaths. These are the curves from today. These are the, the, this is the curve for the United States. 
Note that where we are today, we're not going back to the baseline. We are going to continue to have deaths, and we likely through December and January, due to the mobility of our populations and population kinetics and the travel and gatherings, uh, it's going to go back up. Now, the projected uh, uh, curve is the one in purple dashes, but look at the worst case. The worst case is if we're extremely mobile and we're not careful, we could have an enormous number of deaths. So the 745,000 deaths is really a, a tragic issue. Uh, we started our 1,000 uh, family study focused on the essential critical workers. Uh, who are they? Well, there were 16 industry sectors that Homeland Security decided that were critical. Uh, and we focused to start with on emergency services, first responders, fire, uh, fire, uh, law enforcement, healthcare, and educators became part of the critical essential workforce in August of, of uh, uh, 2020. As we look at our first responders, and we're putting a documentary together called First Responders, Best Responders, and we look at them, there are over 240 million 911 calls a year that they have to respond to. Our firefighters, uh, we are so grateful and thankful for the care that they have delivered uh, to us. Uh, it's pretty interesting to note that half of the deaths of firefighters were from COVID last year. Fully half of all of the deaths were from COVID from those who are experts in aerosols. They're experts in aerosol smoke, in, uh, in, in oxygen, in respiration. They're some of our best experts, and yet half of those deaths were there. What about law enforcement of our first responders? And many of you families are part of that group of law enforcement. There are five times as many deaths um, in our, in our uh, police force as gunshot wounds. We hear about gunshot wounds all the time, but five times the deaths of our, of our wonderful law enforcement officers are from COVID. Uh, what about our emergency medicine and our frontline caregivers? The story's even worse. Um, the, the Guardian and, and Kaiser Health uh, System has done a study. They started a study last year. At the end of the year, there were 922 deaths. Uh, we learned an awful lot about the disease. And despite the fact that we learned so much about this disease and the 922 deaths, uh, we are looking today at 36, over 3,600 deaths, over 30, so almost 10 a day of our caregivers, our frontline caregivers are dying from COVID every single day. Um, this is staggering, 17% are nurses, uh, or I'm sorry, 32% are nurses, 20% uh, uh, are healthcare support, 17% are physicians. And so we really need to think about them. And David, as we lead into you now and talk about our educators and what our chief family officers can do, thank you for taking the chances and the risks that you do for your family. We've lost 1,000. Um, we've lost 1,000 educators uh, due to COVID. How many are at the front line? We don't know. But the impact on children is amazing. We've lost 700 children to deaths. We have over 5,000 that are suffering long COVID, serious uh, damage to multiple organs, um, 46 deaths from that group. The staggering number is, is that we have 170,000 children that have lost a parent. So it's critical that we focus on, as we have, we've been focusing on our network uh, of 500 subject matter experts. We pooled those experts uh, to be able to work on the, on the topics that, uh, that we're talking about today. Uh, and uh, over 130 now experts uh, on our team work on this uh, uh, work work in this uh, in this area for us. So as we think about what we've learned from this, 
from these experts working on this area and focusing on with uh, families in these different organizations, we've really learned a lot from this 1,000 household study. And that is that the Achilles heel is the family. Family plans work. We're at a new normal. The family transmission chains are the crisis that we're facing. As we look at the family transmission chains, if we can block those, transmit, those, those transmission chains, we can have an enormous impact uh, on this, uh, this disease. Most of our nurses here at one of our local medical centers, I won't use the name, got their, they have their, they have their, uh, uh, the disease, not from uh, their work, but they got it from um, what ha has happened in the community and from their homes. And so it's really, really a, 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 a tough time uh, uh, that we're experiencing. We'll come back to the, the family safety plans and the five R's a little bit later. We'd like to uh, take advantage of Mr. Besh because he only has a, a very short window with us today. Those of you that are watching uh, the separate segments will have, we'll get to watch longer segments. So let's think, let's think about our safer family gatherings. What's important about those, those family gatherings? And what we'll uh, do right now is, um, is we'll hear a, a, short, uh, a short message from uh, Brittany Bartow, and then David will have you respond to what the chief family officers can do. Brittany Bartow is a wonderful community pediatrician. She's gonna address what just happened regarding vaccines, and David, that'll set you up for our families. So Brittany, it's pretty exciting that we have approval of the vaccines for our younger children. Can you give us an overview of what you're telling parents and then what are you doing personally? Yep, so the CDC just approved the Pfizer vaccine for ages five to 11. That's, you know, we already had the 12 and up year olds approved a couple of months ago. So now this age group is able to get the Pfizer vaccine. I scheduled my son's appointment today for later this week. So I'm, you know, telling parents in the practice that it's gone through many, many levels of research and checking this, checking the safety and gone through a lot of different boards and multiple layers have recommended it, says that, say that the benefits far outweigh the risks and we should all be vaccinating our kids in this age group. So what are the risks, Brittany? So the typical risks for any vaccine are related to the immune response you get. So fatigue, um, fever, some achiness, those are the most common things that they've noted. A small group of kids had, you know, more intense lymphadenopathy, so swelling of the lymph nodes, but still a fleeting response that they had found in adults. Um, and the and, younger kids are less likely to get myositis. Is that correct? Cardiomyositis. Yeah, so they think that this age group would have a smaller risk of getting the myocarditis that they have seen in other age groups because they think maybe related to the hormones being less in the younger kids versus the older ones, but they they are hypothesizing that the myocarditis risk is going to be lower in this age group as well. Brittany, what do you tell a family who says, well, my kids were already infected, so they're already protected? So it, it's true that if you have an infection, your body does um, mount um, an immune response. However, the immune response is variable based on that body's immune system. So it, you know, some kids could have a really robust response that lasts a while. A lot of kids can have a immune response that wanes with time. So to be safe, and because we don't know who has good response and who doesn't, we should get everyone vaccinated regardless of their previous COVID status. Um, and there's no risk that they have found in kids who had previous antibodies or previous infection when they received the vaccine in the study. 
Brittany, is it fair to say that if we weigh the risks of COVID, which could include the infection and serious infection, as well as MISC or a long COVID kind of environment versus the risks of having the vaccine are far out, outweighed towards getting the vaccine. Is that a fair statement? Yes, absolutely. That's something they specifically looked at when they were reviewing everything in the committee. You know, seven to eight percent of kids are getting long COVID. Hundreds of kids that have MISC, you know, several of which have died, two thirds of those kids had to be in the ICU and hundreds of kids, um, thousands of kids have had to be hospitalized for COVID. So the, you know, the risk of the vaccine are far outweighed by the benefits of the vaccine. So the 700 deaths of kids to date and the more than 5,000 or 5,500 kids that received MISC uh, diagnoses and have very serious multi-organ damage is pretty serious, isn't it, compared to the risk of the short-term side effects of the yes, vaccine? Yes, absolutely. Um, I know, you know, some parents point out that, you know, kids don't have as severe COVID as adults, and that is true, but they still have a really substantial disease burden. You know, in the age group 5 to 11, it's the eighth leading cause of death over this past year, and in the more recent Delta period, it moved up to the sixth leading cause of death. So it's, it's not as severe as adults. It hasn't killed half a million people, but it's hundreds of kids dying is, is still a big deal. Wow. So to reframe it, it was the eighth leading cause of death until Delta. And then after Delta, the sixth leading cause of death in that age group? Um, based on the data that I've reviewed. Wow. That's pretty serious. Yes, which is why it's very important to get these kids vaccinated. What about the, the spreader or super spreader nature of kids? They may not get the infection, but we've now, we now understand that they could really be spreading it to adults and those that are at risk. Is that also a fair statement? Yes, they're, you know, they're one part of the chain of transmission. So a kid getting it in preschool can spread it to the other kids in their home and to the parents and to the grandparents. So one less person that is able to easily spread COVID, it makes a big deal in the transmission train. So Brittany, we now are heading into the holiday season of 2021 and CDC is now saying, be careful as you get together and as you travel, where last year it was don't get together and don't travel unless it was absolutely necessary. Um, what are your thoughts regarding our holiday huddle checklist? Oh, I think it's a great idea. It's you know, making sure that you have identified the people who are vaccinated, those who are more at risk, um, and, you know, during the actual event, being cognizant, again, of the at-risk people, being aware of the ventilation, being aware of people huddling together. I really liked, you know, keeping food within, like, family bubbles so that, obviously, within families, people are mixing, but other family members from other families are not touching other people's food from one family. I think that's a great idea. So the, uh, those of you that are watching us live today can hear more uh, from Brittany uh, regarding what we can do with our kids. Uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to move to uh, Mr. David Besk, who is an award-winning educator, and a short clip from uh, Charlie Denham, who works with him uh, in the uh, school program. Uh, Mr. Besk is, uh, is, as I said, an award-winning award educator, a delight to work with, uh, and has been working with MedTech and training everyone from uh, th uh, third graders from eight 
uh, uh, folks from eight to eighty. Uh, we've seen a tremendous response, and we've uh, uh, and you can see my son Charlie on the left there back in 2015 when we piloted the effort with scouts to see if we could really teach scouts how to use uh, tourniquets. His Eagle Scout project just finished is a rescue station of which a number are now being uh, placed by Eagle Scouts and, and high school students up and down the coastline and hopefully in multiple states. And uh, David Bash, we're just so honored to have you on our team. Uh, you saved one of our, our first lives and we see Danny Policicio there. Both of you have won the Soaring Eagle Award for lives saved using the, the skills of uh, bystander rescue care. Uh, Mr. Bashka will cover uh, the CFO. I'll come back to the slide, David, for you on what, what is the family CFO and what do we need to know uh, about, uh, about that as we head into the holidays? And have you really kind of addressed some of the updates of the holiday huddle checklist that was developed by you and Charlie and I last Thanksgiving that has gone to 20, uh, more than 20,000 uh, families last year and then throughout the year through spring break Addressing the four pillars of social distancing, disinfecting surfaces, hand washing, and use of masks, and the critical nature of why checklists work. And we'll come back to John Nance about why checklists work so well and why, uh, why we don't uh, fall back on memory as pilots and in uh, multiple areas. Uh, uh, but what we'll do right now, Charlie uh, recorded uh, a clip for us, and then David will go to you. Holiday huddle checklist has new items. First is no vaccination status of the guests, no the threat status of the guests, optimize ventilation of the bathroom, and protect at risk guests by the pillars. So what Charlie did was address the updates, which David, we'll have you go back into after we have you explain what a what a chief family officer or a CFO is. Uh, and uh, uh, again, we're just delighted to have you with us today and taking your time up, taking your time away from uh, uh, your commitments there uh, to do that. I'll just go back to our slide here and I'm not getting it. So just take a second uh, to get it. And uh, so David, what is a chief family officer? And I'll put the slide up there for you. Roger that. So uh, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Dr. Denham. Um, the, the, the CFO is the chief family officer um, not only am I an educator of students and children every day, but I'm also have the privilege of being an educator of parents. And um, as a parent of three young children myself, um, I take my role as a CFO very seriously. Um, this webinar could not come a more um, profound time for me and my family who will be traveling over the Christmas holiday. Um, we'll be visiting some family. One of uh, our family members is immunocompromised who is currently going through chemotherapy. So. Um, one of the new the new um, additions to the checklist of knowing the threat status of guests and the vaccination status of other guests at the party is something that um, my wife and I were discussing over the kitchen table last night, very similar to the picture that we saw there with that family. Um, what I would what I'd like to share about the role of a CFO, the chief family officer is the word that comes to mind first is trust. Number one, trust yourself. Uh, we are all capable, we are all um, uh, able, and we all have a vital role to be the person that, that really is in charge of making sure that we're keeping our family safe. Trust yourself. Number two, trust the rest of your family, including your children, even your youngest children. They are all capable, they all can help move forward the family, and they can all do their part to create this, this net of safety um, during the holiday seasons, especially when people are gathering. Um, 
as the CFO, it's important to be a, a, a lifelong learner. Be a good student. Try your best to keep up with current um, information, current recommendations from the CDC, taking part in webinars such as this. All great things to be doing to keep yourself up to date on, on what's going on in the latest news. Um, being honest with your family, just like I am with my students. There's nothing more important than being honest with people. Be, children, even our youngest, can read right through dishonest behavior. They can read right through dishonest communication. And then that breaks down trust within the, uh, the family unit. So being honest with everybody. For example, I have a, a six-year-old who will be traveling. Um, and we need to let him know that, listen, our uncle who is going through chemotherapy, he is particularly um, uh, vulnerable during these times with his, his status and his health. And um, here's what we need to do to make sure that we're doing our best to keep him safe. Practice as a family. That, that slide that Dr. Denham had up earlier is, I think, a great one where you see the children coloring. You can tell that they're communicating. The dad's taking notes. You need to practice the checklist. You need to practice the roles that people will be playing and taking within the, um, the holiday environment. There you go. Perfect. You can see everybody's engaged. Um, you can see that this looks like it's kind of a, a decentralized command uh, unit going on. It doesn't look like the dad sitting there just disseminating information. Clearly, he's, he's receiving feedback. Um, and it looks very much like everyone in that family has a voice, which is another, um, another key component with this is um, making sure that you are soliciting everybody's in opinions, making sure that you're asking for feedback and that you're practicing these routines. Um, like uh, Mr. Nance and Dr. Denham saying these checklists, you fall back onto your training. And as a family, you got to keep up with the training. You got to make sure that everybody has a role. And again, trust yourself and trust the rest of your family after you've been honest and you've had your practice and everyone's had a chance to share their voice, that they can go out and actually effectively implement a, um, a holiday huddle checklist, such as what you're seeing here, to really maximize events and to keep everyone safe in the um, upcoming times of the holidays. So David, the updates to the checklist, and we developed the check checklist in a rapid response to the surge last year yeah. uh, on Thanksgiving Day. It was actually Thanksgiving Day when you and I were up at four in the morning, and <laughs> Charlie deployed it with uh, with a, a group of uh, of uh, leaders that were actually sharing uh, the day with us. Uh, one of them was uh, the former uh, CEO of Medtronic, the world's largest uh, medical technical company, and his family. Um, his uh, da daughter-in-law is a nurse and his wife is a psychologist. And what we did was we said, would you mind being part of our R&D team to prototype it? Uh, but what's new for 2022? I think the expression I'm using with our kids is I work with scouts and I'm coaching other kids and helping them as they are kind of applying for college and graduate school, school is don't dare share air. Last year, we were not as, we, we, we thought that aerosol spread was a major route of spread. It's absolutely definitely what's going on today. Uh, so do you want to go over what we updated as a result of aerosol? It was aerosol risk and then less risk regarding high contact surfaces. Sure. So the, the one here that stands out to me is the prepare the bathroom, which is optimized ventilation. I mean, that's that's going to be key. You know, during um, family gatherings, restrooms are, are used quite frequently. And oftentimes they're kind of small rooms that um, can can kind of just be little traps for, for air and any sort of... Um, uh, you know, spread that, that people are using when they, when they breathe the air in the restroom. So, you know, keeping windows open, if you have house fans turning, turning on house fans, I have a whole house fan that sucks out the air, putting fans in windows, keeping doors open, um, practicing how you can open up windows to create proper ventilation throughout your home. Uh, those are all, you know, relatively simple, but really effective things that we can do 
to um, keep our families and our friends safe during the holiday seasons. The other thing, David, and I know you need to go here in a couple of minutes, but uh, we always use the expression you you and I do as we work and Chief Adcox, and it's an expression I've used with our team for years is love them through it. Yeah. If through love, we can find out the vaccination status of those we're with, we can definitely help protect those that are at risk. So those who are at risk are immunocompromised, um, uh, special needs uh, folks. We know a, a ton of people are uh, on chemotherapy. Many have autoimmune diseases and our kids that haven't been vaccinated yet. And in our longer segments with Brittany, uh, with, with uh, Dr. Barta Owens, we discussed her strategy will be to find out what the, the vaccination status is as they look at play dates and, and that kind of thing. John, as we move, John Nance, as we move to talk about airlines and airflow and, and, the, and, and some of the opportunities for improving care there, uh, it's also separating those that are at highest risk from those that are at lowest risk, knowing we can't reduce all risk. Is that a reasonable approach, to, uh, David, is just manage it as, as, as well as we can, but uh, kind of love the family through it to, to not offend anybody that's not vaccinated, but at least keep those who uh, are at risk safer? I think that that's, that's a, a very reasonable um, uh, procedure to try to do. I know that it's, uh, it can be tenuous, especially uh, when you get into big groups and um, you know, we know that this is uh, kind of can be a hot button issue, especially within families and small units. But um, you know, going back to, to one of the pillars that I stated earlier, I think just having being being trust and being honest and just asking this with 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 the intent of love and saying, look, friends, I ask this question only because I want to make sure that we're we're making um, good choices and we're doing the best that we can to keep everybody safe. Um, I know it's something that my family will be doing, and um, I hope that others do it because you know, uh, that shouldn't necessarily be a hurdle that um, is preventing us from either getting together as a family or making um, decisions and choices with setup and, and how we interact that um, might put others at undue risk. Well, listen, thank you. We know you have a hard stop here in a few minutes. We're so grateful for all that you've done for us and helping save lives through uh, MedTech and tackling this big COVID issue, which we thought was a, a few months and it's turned out to be uh, more than 20 months. So thank you so much for all that uh, you've done. And thank you for uh, the new version of the video. Those of you that watch the, this longer version can go to the website and he and Charlie will be updating the holiday lifeguard uh, checklist video that they've already produced and we'll be deploying it across uh, tens of thousands of students and scouts uh, over the holidays. So many thanks. You're welcome. God bless, take care. Okay, take care. Thank you very much, David. So. So let's, uh, so let's talk about what the CDC is now saying. So um, uh, those of you that are live uh, with us, we know we have Heather Foster, who's a nurse preventionist, John Nance, who's a former captain uh, uh, with uh, one of our great airlines, also uh, one of our leading safety and, and healthcare safety experts, as well as uh, Chief Adcox, who is uh, one of our real threat safety scientists. So what's the difference between this year and last year? Well, last year they said, don't travel. Last year was don't gather. And this year it's gather safer or be safer. And so off of the website uh, just yesterday, you can see safer ways to celebrate the, hot, the, uh, the holidays. Protect those at risk, wear masks, avoid crowds. And if you're sick, don't attend. What do they say about travel? Last year was just don't travel. This year, travel safer. If not vaccinated, follow recommendations for unvaccinated people. Again, protect those at risk. And again, we, you see this focus on aerosol spread because we know so much more uh, 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 you know, about that. Uh, so Chief uh, Adcox, uh, just 
we wanted to get David Beshkin in his tight window between classes. And what I want to do is I'm going to come back to uh, ULS reactors and first have David Morris uh, and you, Chief, react to uh, our, this loss of our essential workers and your messages to our essential critical workers. And then, uh, John, we'll come back to you regarding checklists and why they're so important. David, you're a fantastic expert, both in forensic psychology, you're a JD, and you're actually teaching many of our leading organizations how to lead. What's your message as we head into this um, holiday time about how our great essential workers could help protect their families and in so doing help our nation? Thank you, doctor. It's, uh, it's so important that they realize that in fact, the, uh, the health of their families is at stake as they move into these holidays. The research is clear that in fact, that's where the risk is. And I hope that their concerns will be for the safety of their, of their family and their loved ones. So now that we know so much more about this virus and that aerosol spread, the small droplets that can float in the air for a long time and that ventilation is so much more critical than high contact surfaces, what's your message to to the essential workers about family gatherings and being able to kind of uh, reduce the, the risk and manage the threat? Well, of course, take care of your family, do the, uh, do the responsible things that we need to take care of them. And I would recommend you consider that vaccination as one of the essential elements. However, you really wanna uh, do outdoor gatherings as much as possible and, uh, and, and try to remember that closed environments are, in, are an impediment to the, uh, the safety and actually facilitate the transmission. So we started with the critical essential workers and many of those are um, uh, firefighters, our law enforcement, our EMS, our emergency medicine folks, as well as the other industry sectors that Homeland Security has declared as uh, critical essential infrastructure workers. What's your message to their leaders and to their families? Well, the, the essential workers, especially the first responders, they, they need to recognize that as you go into this holiday season, it's the family that actually is at biggest risk. All the research shows that, and I hope that they will consider that in making their personal decision, whatever their reasons are, uh, they need to remember that it's really their family's health that's at stake. And Chief Adcox, you've been extraordinarily effective at protecting your workforce, but you've still had people that get sick. Is that right? Uh, Dr. Oh, absolutely, Dr. Denham. Uh, we do. We have all types of measures to include the education and uh, awareness programs for our employees to be able to keep their families safe. Uh, unfortunately, I have, I have one employee that was hospitalized for, for many, many weeks and is finally home on oxygen and having a tough time recovering. And uh, one of one of my other employees yesterday had had his brother uh, pass away from COVID nineteen. Uh, it's 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 a it's a terrible terrible virus. And the the worst thing we can do is let our guard down and not take the necessary precautions and use all of the different safeguards that we've discussed on this and many other programs. Bill, you've been recognized many times as being a terrific leader in security and law enforcement at our major medical centers and. Um, I consider you one of our pathfinders in threat safety science. 
Um, what message do you have to other leaders, other chiefs, other heads of security regarding this daunting problem? Well, I, the same message uh, that I would tell anybody, uh, you know, make sure that, uh, that we don't only do the things we need to do to be safe and protected in the workplace, uh, but first and foremost, encourage and provide all the scientific evidence around the vaccines. And beyond that, make sure that they're doing the, the different protective measure, whether it's PPE, it's distancing, it's, it's making sure that if they're going to be in any type of gathering, that it be outdoors. Understand that most of the problems are going to happen in family gatherings and social gatherings. And we're getting ready to go into the holidays. And we all want to be with our families. And, and we're going to do that. And we're going to bring our children together. And we're going to bring our, grand, our grandparents and our great-grandparents together. We're going to be bringing people together that are most at risk. And, and they, they could have some very serious consequences if they catch this virus. So do the things you need to do to protect yourself and most importantly, protect your family. So uh, anything you'd like to add live with us, Chief? I thought that your comments uh, in our conversation with, uh, with uh, David Morris were excellent. Anything else you'd like to add before we loop uh, back to our other respondents? Uh, the only thing I'd like to add is, is that, you know, just a reminder that we are moving in holiday season, uh, both, both through uh, Thanksgiving and the, uh, uh, the, the Christmas season, and uh, um, we're going to be getting together and we just have to take all the precautions there are. We're going to be putting our family members at great risk. So we ask you, please, just keep in mind this and, and by all means, encourage everyone to get vaccinated that, that, that's, that can get vaccinated. Great, thank you very much. And uh, Heather Foster is a nurse preventionist. Uh, she works at the front line in hospitals in, uh, in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, Heather, you've been a steadfast supporter of all of the checklists that we've developed over time to take care of people at home, to get to the emergency department, uh, and uh, to be able to solve this problem. And you've got a surge in the Rocky Mountains again now. Uh, your comments regarding preparing for the holidays as a nurse. Yes, hi, Chuck. Thanks for having me. Um, I think I'll just reiterate and stress everything you've already put out there. Um, you know, the narrative, as I've always said, it has not changed since the beginning of COVID. We're still, we're still trying to flatten that curve um, and following those uh, guidelines as strict hand washing, wearing your masks, um, both uh, vaccinated now or being encouraged to do that uh, and especially unvaccinated and as well as social distancing. You know, um, uh, I can tell you right now, our hospitals are full again. We're actually diverting. We're um, seeing a lot of COVID um, that's kind of taking precedence over um, um, other needs. So we're stressed. Uh, I think every healthcare worker around the world can attest to their resiliency through this. Uh, so we just stress that we continue to be careful, Chuck. Well, thank you. And thank you for, uh, you know, we recommend everybody uh, through the holidays, if someone gets sick and has to care for someone at home, it was Heather Foster and uh, Dr. Boats working with the, our team that put together the strategy for taking care of someone at home and also being safe on the way to the hospital, uh, which uh, we know a number of people who, and we're now moving into now our transportation uh, part of our presentations, but we know many, many people that have got, have, have been able to, um, 
um, uh, do well at home. And then the moment they traveled on airplanes, uh, in cars or in trains, they, uh, they ended up getting sick. So there are things that we know that we can do. All right, so planes, trains, and automobiles. Dr. Katz, Dr. Katzer is going to do a deep dive on that. Uh, before we get, there, get get jump into that, and John, we'll come back to you after that regarding uh, uh, airlines, but can you give us the critical nature of why checklists are so important so we kind of just bookend our checklist and our family checklist approach and having a strategy? Absolutely, uh, Chuck. The main thing about checklist is that it's a recognition of human frailty. Uh, we simply can't remember everything all the time. And even though when things are normal, it's pretty easy to keep everything in line, maybe eight, nine different items. Uh, the, a checklist is uh, should be full of killer items. In other words, in aviation, these are the things that somebody has paid in blood to get in those checklists because we've had accidents and incidents and so on. In a, in a family situation, you sit down there and put down the things that are the most important that the family would not want to forget and would not want to deviate from, and you use it. This is an important point. There are a lot of people, when you're talking to an adult with a lot of experience, who think that it's some sort of an insult to uh, impose a checklist on them. Certainly, we've had this in the physician community. It's not an insult at all. As long as we are human and our memories are fallible and we have the propensity for making mistakes, no matter how good we are, or how long we've been in the saddle, a checklist is a prophylaxis against uh, something uh, happening that is not uh, is on that checklist. We didn't do it because we didn't want to use one. And, uh, and there's just simply no excuse for that. Certainly not in aviation, not in nuclear power generation, not in medicine. And I think it's a, an extrapolation to the home, too. I think if you would take this seriously, as a family, then this ought to be something explained to everybody. It's never an insult. It's always simply a recognition that we're human. Well, John, and I, I love your exp expression. It is very graphic that these checklists are written in blood. And I know as I moved up the ranks of a, being a private pilot, that if I did not use the checklist with my instructor, uh, or uh, if, and God forbid, I never failed a rating, but, but I know I would have had I not followed the checklist because of the fallibility of the uh, of the uh, of the memory and I know flying a citation jet a private jet which is less sophisticated than the jets that you flew um, the, the there were things in red on the checklist if it, you have an engine fire there may be 35 things but there are five things you got to do and you may not be able to remember them under stress fair statement. That's right. Very fair statement. And of course, we could give you thousands of examples from all walks of life. In aviation, though, uh, there are very, very few things that you have to do on a memory basis. Uh, but a checklist is part of that, and a checklist is also what will get clean up a major problem. When you take off in an airliner and you're in the back, uh, if you have an engine failure, you can be sure that there is a crew up there that has a couple of items memorized, and the rest of it, they're going to get into the checklist, and they're going to do it right every time as a result of that. They're not going to forget the killer items. Great, great. And so as we as we kind of look at uh, uh, the planes, trains, and automobiles sort of uh, uh, issues, uh, when we look at uh, the airflow in airplanes, I thought I thought that this uh, that this video uh, is really really helpful. Uh, the video I'm, uh, I'll show here is on the Airbus, and it actually shows the fresh air coming into the aircraft 
and the fact that there's a mix of air uh, inside the fuselage and air outside. And we're both blessed and cursed. I'm a cancer doctor and subspecialized in lung cancer. We have HEPA filters on our planes because of smokers, and they would take out the particulate matter. Now you see the airflow that flows from the top down um, then along the floor and then is pulled out so you can see the air is renewed about every two or three minutes uh, in the airplane now the reason that i'm showing this uh, today is it sets up dr katzer who's going to get into a lot more detail uh, in, in his presentation regarding uh, safety uh, as we travel uh, from our homes and we travel to other locations and recognizing that there may be places to sit in the plane and things that we can do uh, that can reduce our risk as we go through uh, go through that. Those that are watching our longer version, we have actually video of uh, train uh, of, of actually the airflow in trains and the fact that um, those that are operating the trains are trying to maintain, they're all different, but they're trying to maintain a lot of airflow. Your focus should be to be sitting where air is not blowing over someone else who's breathing, but actually flowing out or the fresh air that's flowing in. Uh, the third area, planes, trains, and automobiles. Now, when we look at automobiles, it's critically important to know that you're, you're moving around in a very small container. And when you choose to recirculate the air inside the fuselage or the cabin of a car, um, you're recirculating air that's being breathed. Now, there are filters that are in place, but as we, if we have to take somebody to the hospital who we know may be sick or someone who's unvaccinated and may have been exposed, Windows down, masks on, and not recirculating the air uh, in, in the, uh, inside this closed container. The worst thing you can possibly do is be within a closed container uh, where the air is not fre uh, freshened and where, you've got, uh, where you're rebreathing or what we say, don't, share, don't dare share air. So Robert, doc, uh, Dr. Robert Katzer is now going to carry the water for us on travel. He's going to, and then we'll go back to our respondents. Uh, and, our, and our reactors. Uh, he's a professor of emergency medicine at the University of California, Irvine. We work very closely with him. He is also uh, leads and helps uh, uh, train the EMT students. Uh, he's also the air medic for San Bernardino, San Bernardino uh, uh, Sheriff uh, Air Rescue Team, which covers a, a, a huge uh, area. Uh, and so he's an expert in emergency preparedness, uh, in, in addition to being an emergency medicine doctor, not only covering a big metropolitan area like we're, where we live here in Orange County, but also um, with Dr. Chris Fox, who's uh, also one of our team members, uh, who is... Um, uh, who also uh, is working uh, to cover the Catalina Islands. So they also cover a remote area. So we'll start off now with uh, Robert Katzer giving us a deep dive on travel as we, uh, as we head into the holidays. Dr. Katzer, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to speak to us today. We're really looking forward to this presentation and uh, helping families be safe over the holidays. Oh yeah, wonderful. Uh, you certainly, uh, we're all excited to get back to travel. So I did a little delve into the safety considerations during all the phases. And that's pretty much what we're going to cover today. Fantastic. So I uh, hope we all can stay awake and uh, you learn a little something. Most of it's pretty straightforward and common sense, fortunately. All right, I'll go ahead and get the uh, screen up here so you can see the slides as I'm going through. 
All right, so we got keeping your family COVID-free during transit this holiday season. Um, so I'm an emergency physician at uh, UCI. I'm also an EMS physician, which means I wear a couple of different hats there, as you see uh, beyond that. Uh, so uh, I have no financial conflicts. Um, not making any money off this, although it was fun to look at the info and uh, teach it to you all. Uh, and then these uh, opinions are mine and mine alone. I work for a lot of different uh, levels of uh, government service, and uh, this has nothing to do with any of that. All right, so uh, for the lecture out here, we're going to look at vaccine effectiveness because, you know, we could talk about mitigating uh, infection transmission uh, in transit, but, you know, currently vaccines are still going to be your best bet to control, especially where the vaccine controls your environment and an area where you can't control the environment outside of you. Uh, we're going to talk about travel to the airport, travel within the airport, uh, any in-flight considerations or in-transit considerations, and lodging on the other end of the trip. So before you depart, you know, this is the planning phase, weeks before you depart. Uh, you want to provide the best uh, uh, safety for your family, and you also want to find out about restrictions on your end. So uh, I recommend protecting your family by having all of your eligible family members vaccinated for COVID. Even weeks before you depart, um, there's some planning to do and, and some vaccination in some cases. So you should protect your family by having all your eligible family members vaccinated for COVID. You should start this early enough to allow that immunity to develop. Uh, immunity is going to take several weeks after the single shot J&J initial. It's going to take one week beyond the second shot of the initial Pfizer. And it's going to require at least two weeks after the uh, second shot of the initial Moderna. CDC is currently still recommending that unvaccinated persons delay non-essential travel. Furthermore, you should not travel if you have symptoms that may be a result of COVID or if you happen to be un under quarantine secondary to a COVID exposure. And finally, you should check ahead for local or state travel restrictions where you're going uh, so that your travel is not uh, disrupted or um, otherwise derailed because you weren't aware of those rules. So, you know, we may all be familiar with the initial data from the vaccine trials. Uh, and now, uh, where are we now? Uh, what protection does it give you against the Delta strain? Um, initially, performance of our mRNA vaccines. So the mRNA vaccines are the Moderna or the Pfizer ones. It, it basically demonstrated the equivalence of rock star status with epidemiology. You had a 95% efficacy uh, on a brand new vaccine with a brand new way of transmitting uh, immunity. Uh, but the questions remain of how long that immunity lasts, whether we talk about antibody titers or cellular immunity, and how well the vaccines hold up as Delta strains. So your immunity may be changing over time, and the target is changing with the Delta and the Delta Plus. So initially, we're looking at the, the Pfizer series, so the MRA one, you had a 95% clinical efficacy, confidence interval, 95% confidence interval between 90.3 to 97.6%. With the two-dose Moderna series, that clinical efficacy was equivalent as well, 94.5%, uh, ranging from 86.5 to 97.8. In their primary outcomes, we're looking for patients that have signs and symptoms of COVID and a positive test. So that efficacy includes protection from any symptom symptomatic infection, as well as the more severe one. For the single Johnson & Johnson, which came out later on, the efficacy was 66.9%, with a range from 59 to 73.4. Uh, 
Um, so that may be, it's a different, uh, it's a viral vector uh, vaccine, it's not mRNA, but also the Johnson & Johnson trials uh, were um, completed uh, when there was a much higher case prevalence uh, in the population. So these three weren't done at the same time with the same case prevalence. So it's really hard to look at them and compare them one to one. So that was our initial efficacy by vaccine. Now that we look at the Delta strain, we have incomplete data, but here's kind of a little old whiff. So one review article looked at whatever articles they could find about um, Delta plus, Delta, primarily Delta and infection. So looking by, by type now, so instead of each one, we're gonna lump the Moderna and Pfizer together. So the mRNA vaccines had an efficacy of 77.7% against the Delta. Delta. What I think is even more important though, when you look at the received mRNA groups, it was 0% instance of death, where your instance of death in the unvaccinated for those pooled studies was between one and 4.5%. When they looked at the viral vector vaccines, which that's the Johnson & Johnson, so the one that's approved in the US, an efficacy of 67.7%. And, and that's pretty close to its initial uh, efficacy, if you remember back, Delta versus the initial. Uh, there wasn't enough data to make a conclusion on rates of death uh, within that vaccine study. It just wasn't enough uh, uh, end value. There was another article that looked at, uh, first it reviewed what was out there and then did some statistical modeling. And based on the modeling, looking at the type, again, lumping the, the Moderna and the Pfizer together, um, overall efficacy they believe is decreased 25 to 50% from the original. Um, so then we have this other issue of back both boosters. So boosters are now approved. So anyone who received either the Pfizer or the Moderna more than six months ago and meets one of the following criteria, 65 age or older, um, or 18 uh, plus with a long-term care facility living, uh, underlying medical conditions or working in, or living in a high-risk setting. In addition to that, recently last week, we. FDA approved the mix and match vaccination. So regardless of what initial vaccine series you got for your booster, you could use any of the approved vaccines. Could get a Moderna additional, then a Pfizer, could get a J&J, &J, followed by a Moderna booster. So the bottom line on vaccines and travel is vaccination of all eligible family members, the best way to protect your family from COVID during travel and after. All right, so as you're departing, the ride to the airport is kind of our first venture into the outside world. So driving your own car to the airport is equivalent to putting your house on wheels. You're not exposing you and your family to any other potentially infected patients. So that's gonna be your safest method. Uh, you could use ride share vehicles. If you do that, if you can use a partition between the front and back seat that's recommended without a lot of solid data, uh, avoid sitting in the front seat, which uh, increases your space between the driver and your family. And then masking all of your occupants is gonna be the best ways to mitigate any risk of transmission. Other public transit options such as bus or rail, again, masks, not only are they mandated federally within a conveyance of transportation, uh, but they're also gonna be your best bet to mitigate transmission after vaccination um, protection. You wanna maximize distance from the riders, especially those who are not masked, and then bring your hand sanitizer. And of course, shorter the ride, the better, less the exposure. 
So once you're at the, the airport, there is a federal CDC order that in addition to conveyance of transportation does require mass while, while also in transportation hubs. Now they've relaxed this or, or indicate the CDC wants to relax it for travel hub outdoor settings, but certainly within set indoors and travel hubs, it's infected. The exceptions to this are when you're eating, when TSA asks you to lower the mask so they can look at your face. Uh, fortunately, when you're wearing an oxygen mask in the event of cabin depressurization, yes, that was listed on the website. And if I'm in a de depressurized cabin and I walk out of that aircraft, I would pay whatever fine I would need to remove my mask, but it looks like that won't be an issue. Um, if you're communicating with someone who's hearing impaired, uh, you have any respiratory distress, uh, if for some reason you're unconscious but not sleeping, uh, under the age of two, or have a disability precluding you from wearing a mask. Uh, in flight, that CDC mask order remains in effect. Uh, some other things to think about that commercial aircraft do have a HEPA filtration system, uh, and they circulate air, air through the cabin pretty frequently. So once every three to four minutes, which is beyond the standards of a building, uh, train, or bus. Um, so it's actually going to be a lot cleaner with that because you have more circulation and the HIPAA filter. That filter will remove 99.7% of COVID droplets. So the COVID virus itself is a little smaller than most of what the HIPAA will pick it up, but the virus itself needs droplets to travel. Um, so as a result, that 50-50 air, which is what's in the cabin, it's a balance between all cleaner air and the, and the environmental consequences and engineering demands of that. Um, that 50-50 air is clean as fresh could be from a COVID standpoint. Um, so all of this results in aircraft believing to be lower risk than other public transportation. So here's a diagram that looks at that airflow. So you have the 50-50, so half fresh, half uh, HEPA filtered air coming in from the ceiling. It goes downward, mostly vertically, uh, and then out by the seats. You don't see a lot of vertical or horizontal movement between rows it's mostly a vertical transmission down once it gets underneath through those the lateral floor portions it gets filtered below and then it will also get pushed up from the filtered area it's really hard to find quantified risk of what your in-flight risk of um or, uh, being infected with covid on a, on a flight they're all over the place. So A, that the, the data has changed. So the strains are different over time. The mass practices are different. The incidence of vaccination is different. So all of these make it difficult. So here's some examples I found with the literature. One in 27 million travelers, that sounds awesome. I like that one. That seems very low risk. Uh, one infection for 54 flight hours on a passenger population of a 777 or 767, uh, or one earlier on that had 15 infected in one flight without masks and before vaccination, right? So you've got all these confounders in different times. So variable masking, vaccinations, Delta variant. So it's really hard to hang your head on what the quantified risk is in flight. We have established like other respiratory infections before it, it can be spread within two rows of the contagious passenger. So that airflow doesn't work a lot horizontally. Within two feet, two rows, uh, you can get droplets, cough, et cetera. Some other things you do in addition to wearing your mask as much as you possibly can, 
uh, you may want to utilize that personal air vent in the seated ceiling above you. That's going to help to move more vertical air across, remove your exposure duration to any droplets that may have the infection. Uh, good news is utilization of the lavatory does not appear to increase risk of infection. Uh, aisle seats do appear to be associated with increased risk of infection. So you do get a protective feature in terms of decreasing your risk of deep venous, thromboma, uh, deep venous thrombosis and pulmonary embolus when you're sitting in the aisle, but you're trading it off with an increased risk of COVID uh, transmission. Also, business class and first class do not seem to have decreased risk of transmission. They just cost more and they're more comfortable. All right, so sir, in-flight infection mitigation conclusions is that air travel is safer than bus or train travel. You want to wear masks as much as tolerated, multi-layer masks are better than single-layer cloth, appropriately fitted N95 is the best protection you can give yourself. You want to avoid the aisle seat if possible, utilize your personal air vents, and exercise good hand hygiene practices. All right, you've made it to your final destination. So what type of lodging arrangements are gonna be the best? So a vacation rental with only your household is gonna be the safest. It's gonna minimize the amount of contact you have with other parties that don't live with you, who may be infected, may be unvaccinated or both. Hotels with bed and breakfast areas that have common area eating areas are more higher risk and dorm style shared bathroom facilities are even higher risk. You should avoid those if at all possible. So thank you. I wish you and your family a very safe holiday trip uh, this season, getting together with loved ones and seeing new places. Um, and consider all those practices to try to mitigate your risk by vaccinating before, masking during, uh, and uh, being, uh, being reasonable, washing your hands. Have a great day and take care. Dr. Katzer, thank you for all you do in our community. So uh, Dr. Katzer did a great job uh, reviewing that. And we ask him some of the most common FAQs, and then we'll go back to our panel. The first question is that we uh, understand that there's poor ventilation in the jetways and that we should be careful keeping our distance and just recognize the fact that there may not be as good a ventilation as if the airplane is up and running and the AC and the HVAC systems are operating. Fair statement? Uh, yeah, so your jetways are not going to have that standard filtration or HIPAA or air cycles you have in the aircraft. And you're standing in those, you know, for a while while in line. So mask wearing and social distancing are going to be your best ways of protecting your family with that. So that being the case, uh, one of the suggestions is that uh, if you're if you're in in the line, it may be a better idea to wait, especially if you're in first class or you've got assigned seats and they're easy to get to and you don't have too much baggage to to be later to get on the plane because most of the time when the plane is on the ground. Not operating if the engines aren't operating. Is that is that true? Yeah. Uh, well, I can't speak to when they turn the HIPAA filtration off. I'm, I'm not a, a pilot, and the only aircraft I fly in don't have any AC systems aside from rolling the window down. Uh, however, I, I can say that generally speaking, you're in an area with a large number of people in close proximity. It's always a good idea to take maneuvers to minimize uh, your exposure to those other people and maximize your distance. 
Another uh, opportunity to think about is on a longer flight where people are eating, it may be advisable to A, not overdo it on hydration so you don't have to go to the potty, which is more, poor, which is poor, more poorly ventilated, even though the studies don't show yet that you have a higher risk. But, uh, uh, but the second is to unmask at alternate times other than when most people are taking their mask off and eating because they're, they're not protected and their droplets can circulate. If you wear your mask while they're eating and you delay uh, eating, uh, uh, it may reduce your risk. Fair statement? Yeah, that's an excellent point, Dr. Denham, because masks are gonna protect us from others and protect others from us. And so whenever we have that layer of protection up, when other people's protection is down, we're gonna protect ourselves in that situation. So we've been recommending the three Fs of uh, filter, fit, and finish. Filter meaning the best filtration that you can get, and we often quote N95 masks, but the second issue is fit. And you might have an N95 mask that has big openings that you can't cover where air escapes, and yet you might have an ASTM uh, medical grade procedure mask uh, that fits very well. And that a better fit of a mask that's pretty close to the filtration of an N95 might be better than a very poorly fitting N95 mask with lots of air escape. Your thoughts? Yeah, um, you know, the chain is always as strong as its weakest link. Uh, and a mask system that blocks many particles that has a big hole in it is about as good as a watertight bucket with the hole drilled in it. So that all makes perfect sense. So as we talk about the finish, which is the third app, uh, we talk about uh, uh, finishing with the mask. And after we've been on a long flight uh, and we know there's an electrostatic charge on both the surgical and the N95 masks that attract the virus, that it's probably a good idea to dispense with it when you can and make sure to remember to wash your hands after having touched it. Just touch it uh, uh, on the earpieces uh, ear or the uh, or the straps and remember that that we touch our eyes and face 23, 24 times uh, an, hour, uh, an hour. So perhaps might be a good idea to kind of keep it, to have that, that clean object or that object that was clean that protected you now contaminated. Be careful with that like we do in the hospital. Fair statement? Yeah, certainly when you're changing your mask out, you have the risk of taking what's on your hands and getting it close to your mouth during a period of, of vulnerability or grabbing what's on the mask and then getting it on you. So hand sanitizing before and after removal of the mask would be the best way to mitigate that risk. Fantastic. Now the other, we know that we're going to be gathering in other ways. And we know that many times with our families and our kids, uh, there's a great temptation to carpool kids and share cars. Uh, is it fair to say that if you don't know the vaccination status of the kids or they're not eligible yet, it might be younger kids, that this confined space of a car where they're circulating air is, is maybe more risky than you, you would think, and it might be a good idea not to carpool kids or those that are unvaccinated with your family? Yeah, I mean, when you just follow the general approach of you have your family unit and you want to minimize the amount of exposure your family unit has to others outside of your family unit that may be infected or unvaccinated throughout your trip. So that's your general concept. And, you know, carpooling in a small automobile is a perfect example of something you may want to avoid if you have the luxury to do so. Now, you're Certainly, if you have to have others, emphasis on masking would be your next best uh, opportunity to mitigate that risk. 
So you're an emergency me medicine physician and also a, a, a waterman here in Southern California and are aware of the fact that many times we might be having to take somebody that we don't know to the emergency room. Um, is it reasonable if the weather uh, is, is okay? If we're taking somebody to the emergency department to have everybody wear masks in the car, have the windows down and just try to keep, uh, you know, I, I keep telling my son who's a surfer, don't dare share air. You know, the most important thing we can do because of the aerosol spread is to just minimize it any way you can. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, certainly masks when you're in an enclosed space with others could be very helpful. Um, and opening the window brings a lot of fresh air in and moves any viral particles out a lot faster than a standard AC will. So what's your take uh, uh, on the boosters? We know that a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, have already uh, uh, had their vaccinations. We're highly recommending that that they uh, that they seek the boosters and follow the CDC guidelines because of waning immunity. Uh, reasonable? Yeah, very much so. You know, these are new vaccines. Uh, we're all in a learning process of how long they're effective for. Um, I place a lot of trust in the vaccine review uh, committees uh, that reviewed this data, looked at the antibody titers and made the recommendations for boosters. So what we're gonna do to uh, be able to uh, move quickly to our, our reactors and finish on time is we're gonna move ahead right now and have them react to not only this section, but actually react to our final section uh, which um, is uh, addressing uh, the emergency uh, checklist that's critically important uh, to uh, making sure that we take care of both our young uh, people uh, as well as our young singles and those that are single that don't have uh, uh, family members that they live with, but also uh, our seniors. And um, you know, so we we uh, we get a kick out of the the concept of uh, of the. Um, uh, of the Animal House uh, uh, segment where uh, the college freshman is told, uh, you fouled up, you trusted us. And there's a lot of risk when these kids get to college. And we were, we, the, the issue of the medical power of attorney was driven home by uh, a story that we put in earlier videos in our longer versions, you'll see it, of a, a young freshman who had a skateboard accident and his parents were not contacted uh, rapidly uh, and rapid care could not be delivered in those vital first hours or that golden hour after care. So as we look at kind of the risk as we go forward with COVID, we also need to recognize that as well, whether it's COVID or anything else. This emergency checklist uh, that we have uh, been refining is number one, having the medical power of attorney being, and, and John as an attorney, you're one of our attorneys and you'll be able to kind of react to that, how critical it is for our singles, our young people that might be going to college, but also our seniors who we're taking care of to have a medical power of attorney and advanced directives so that uh, decisions could be made rapidly for the best care. Um, uh, secondly, smartphone uh, in case of emergency notification, and then knowing the emergency providers in the area or the community where we, uh, where we live or where we're recreating or going on a trip, and then finally medical record access. And so in our prior programs, which you can go back and watch, 
um, we have addressed a, a deeper dive on these. But again, the idea of having a checklist, a systematic way of not relying on memory, but then also executing uh, on, uh, on a state-by-state -state basis, getting the medical power of attorney and advanced directive signed and notarized so that someone can make decisions for our young seniors in high school or moving out or moving to college uh, as well as uh, the seniors who we may be taking care of. I recently uh, was up most of the night when my mother-in-law fell and, uh, and I had her whole medical record and assigned uh, medical power of attorney and advanced directive. I was so glad that we did. It turned out to be um, just dehydration and not a critical issue, but, uh, but it could have been. Uh, secondly, almost all of our, um, and I think to a person, our emergency medicine doctors who are leaders like Dr. Katzer, almost no one knew that our smartphones can be automatically um, pro, uh, programmed to to call if we dial 911 on our phone it will automatically call and give G gps coordinates to where we are to uh, those family members that we wish or friends who are in case of emergency the third check on the checklist is those of us that are traveling do we know where the level one trauma center is or where the major medical center is that could take care of those that might be at more risk um, or uh, with a traumatic event. And then finally, uh, medical record access, how critical it is that we have access to the medical records. And on our longer version of this program, um, those that wanna watch the deeper dive segment with Dr. Katzer, uh, we address this issue of having medical records uh, handy and available uh, to be able to uh, make decisions immediately that have the medical pro active medical problems, the medications, the allergies, and the and prior surgeries that might prevent a surgical procedure if uh, if no information is found. Um, we had one of our terrific uh, lawyers who's also on our team, a recent a recent graduate uh, of Georgetown, who's a staff attorney with a nonprofit, kind of take a deep dive on this and why this is so valuable. So as we kind of come back now to our reactors, and we've got about 14 minutes before we finish our live uh, uh, recording, uh, I'd like to go back to uh, Chief Adcox. And uh, Chief, have you uh, kind of react to what you've heard regarding safe travel for, and also our professional first responders, but also how critical it is that we have, uh, uh, that we're prepared in case of emergency. Chief? Well, thank you very much. I think uh, Dr. Kessler's uh, information was, was impeccable. It was very, very clear. And I think you had very good parts to, to, that we can follow. Um, the, the bottom line is you have to have a plan. Part of the plan obviously will call for checklists, but if you, if you fail the plan, you plan to fail. That's just the bottom line. And I think it's very critical. The other, the other components you're talking about is, is, is part of the plan is knowing uh, where the most important things are, especially if you have family members that are going to be living in an area, knowing where the major medical center is that has a, you know, a level one trauma uh, operation is critical. Uh, we see that every time when we're protecting the president of the United States, any city that he or she goes into, it's guaranteed that, that we will know and we will have the path. We'll have it all planned out well before he or she comes. You should be, you should have the same thought process for your own family member that's off to college. So you mentioned uh, an issue. I got to tell you, when we were taking care of our grandson here recently, we had to go out and get a power of attorney, a power of a medical 
uh, power of attorney so that if something was to happen, we could we could make the call, at least be in the know. So yes, those things are critical, but it's all part of planning. It's all part of knowing what to do. And that's what we need to do, especially for, for, for the holidays. And I will say, uh, it's gonna get cold and more people are gonna wanna be inside and we're gonna be gathered together. And that, that air circulation is not going to be what it is being outside. So if you've got to sort of screen everybody, that's part of your plan. Know, know who's at greatest risk, know who's been vaccinated, uh, just, just be prepared. So Chief, I know that you were kind of crushed uh, as I was when we saw that we have five times as many law enforcement officers dying of COVID than of gunshot wounds. They're forced to be in close proximity in patrol cars. They're forced to be in close proximity to, um, in most of the tasks that they maintain. Uh, any thoughts there and any advice? You've had a tremendous, uh, uh, you've had tremendous numbers in terms of how, how you've been able to protect your officers uh, at the University of Texas uh, uh, Police Department at MD Anderson and UT. Any message that you might have specifically to those officers and their families? I would say that it is very critical that you first and foremost, your best protection is to get vaccinated. And we have stressed that and we have provided the science and we've gotten our personnel involved and engaged, help, helping them to understand that. The, the other piece of it is it is, it is a tragedy because in first responders do not have the option. They don't have the ability to say, I'm just not gonna come in contact with certain people. And unfortunately, there are times when there's even going to be hands-on where you've got to help somebody, you've got to provide CPR, or you may have to restrain somebody. Could be a person that's in mental crisis to get them some help. Could be something worse. And so, yes, you don't have the discretion to 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 do the things we talked about in planning. So the vaccine is going to be the most critical thing you can do. Uh, your your masking, your 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 personal hygiene in terms of washing your hands before and after a contact. You know getting getting the distancing whatever you can do to protect yourself and then later protecting your family is pretty critical it is it is it is a a very humbling and uh, very scary circumstance when you're saying five times as many uh, persons will be dying and police police departments are dying from um covid than they do from from gun gun uh, incidents it's it's critical it's a very dangerous profession obviously um, but there's things you can do to protect yourself and bring that number way down. And that's what we advocate. And we're hoping everybody does that. Final thought with you there, Chief, is, and then we'll go to you, John, is this issue uh, of our firefighters. Uh, it was shocking to see that half of the deaths of firefighters, uh, first off, that we have much, many more deaths of firefighters this last year than we've had since 9-11. 9-11, it peaked at 300 uh, in a year. But these are experts at airway. They're experts in oxygen and carbon dioxide and air exchange. They're experts in understanding how critical it is. And they're experts in particulate matter with, of which viruses, that same thing. If you smell smoke through a mask, you know your mask isn't working. We use that as kind of a simple test. If you smell somebody smoking and you're wearing a, uh, your, your mask to protect you from COVID and you smell smoke in a room and somebody's smoking, you're not being protected. And so um, the, the firefighters, I think they're, they, they're at risk with their families as well, because uh, we have a pretty sneaking suspicion that they're getting sick from the community and not on the job. However, uh, most people don't realize that 60% of firefighter calls are actually medical calls and only 4% are fires. Your thoughts? Uh, I think it's important for us all to remember that fire departments 
are, are, are the, generally the, the ones that, that have the emergency medical response within their department. So your ambulances, your, your EMS units are going to be part of the fire department in most cases. The second thing to remember is, is, is that, you know, you could take out an anomaly like uh, the, the tragedy of the, of the Twin Towers. Uh, th those are going to be one-offs. But if you take a look at the data across the board when you remove those anomalies, this has been a terrible year for, for firefighters. And frankly, a lot of it has to do with, you know, they, they're the ones that are going to be on the front lines. They're going to be performing uh, CPR. They're going, to be, they're going to be there when people are tore up. There's a lot of hands-on and very close connectivity, contact with people uh, that's, that's going to be there. And, the, and the, the other part is, is a lot of times there's delays. There's so many people going to the hospital with COVID now that you're going to be in close proximity to a person with COVID that you're transporting to the hospital. So there's a lot of things that are, that are going on, but, but obviously there needs to be a, a, a greater uh, importance put on each individual firefighter needs to be really thinking through, I have to have the vaccine, I have to have the booster, I've got to maintain masking where I can, I've got to do these things to be safe. Uh, firefighters also, you know, based on the way that they work, 24 shift, hour shifts and all, they have a lot of downtime. And so there's a lot of gatherings that they're around. They're around a lot of people in, in different areas. So that might be, might be something to also consider. Uh, but we have to do everything we can to protect our firefighters. They're just too critical. They're, they're one of the most critical portions, parts of the public safety net that we discuss. Thank you, Chief, and thank you for all you're doing uh, at Anderson and how, how you're uh, showing, you know, demonstrating such a great role modeling uh, uh, capability for the rest of the nation. John, coming back to you, you you kind of have an intersection of wonderful, a wonderful set of uh, uh, skills and knowledge. So I've got three questions for you. First off, um, this first off, it'll be regarding the staggering number of people in healthcare that have got. They're experts in healthcare, and yet we've got over 3,600 deaths and many, many uh, thousands of people with long COVID. Uh, we know people that are doctors and nurses who have passed away from this disease. That'll be my first question. Then we'll kind of dig into this, uh, you know, as an aviator, um, you know, the, the airline sort of risk. And then finally, this uh, uh, checklist regarding the medical uh, uh, power of attorney and how important it is. But the first first is just to react to what's going on in healthcare, because you're a patient safety expert. You're one of our leading experts in patient safety. Just your thoughts regarding how we've been able to, to or how we've not been able to protect more of our caregivers that we needed to? I think some of the failure to protect has been endemic to the situation. It took a long time to learn how to put on the protective gear and to get the proper uh, equipment together. But there was also a major retardant factor in society as well as, uh, as medicine in trying to make this a political issue, which was absurd and criminal in my view. And in, on top of that, the, uh, the idea that, that somehow this is nothing more than a flu. This is a monstrous disease and it's created so many problems for people people who even survived it. Uh, and when we get to our, our healthcare providers, they, they had to be in, uh, in proximity to people, uh, but there was, there was too little understanding uh, early on, I think, of just exactly how virulent this was because we didn't understand how much of an aerosol-borne situation this was. Uh, certainly many of us who've been involved in, the, in medicine for a long time uh, think back to the, the worries we had that something like Ebola could ever go into an aerosol aerosol form. Uh, well, this is not quite as bad, but it's pretty close. It's very close. So, John, 
and I agree with everything you've said. I, I really think that uh, uh, you know we could have done better, and I hopefully we will do better. We we we're not sure, but we may have another surge coming. And to protect our caregivers, our our firefighters, our law enforcement, our EMS is just, just so critical. But to shift gears with you now putting on your hat as a former captain of one of our great airlines and thinking about safe air travel and what you heard from Dr. Katzer and kind of the animations that we showed. Any reaction to that? Yeah, I think that was very well stated. First of all, uh, you know, we've always said, and it's always been true, that you're far safer uh, on an airliner than you are going and coming to the airport uh, by, by road or by train, for that matter. And that's true. It's also true in this regard. We've got this new surge now of air travel that's uh, bringing everything back up to the way it used to be with masks. And we've got people who are resistant to the mask because they think that everything is okay now. Well, we still have a, a dangerous environment, but it's mostly the dangers down the jetway, uh, sitting in the lounge, uh, walking into the airports, because once you're on the airplane, uh, it, it's, it's a much, much lower level of potential, unless you've got somebody who's sitting right next to you who sneezes unprotected in your face. The danger is still there. Uh, we're not over this yet. And we've got to, we've got to realize that even though we're all fatigued with these things and you know I get to the point of carrying four or five mass stuff down in my pockets and sometimes I'll walk into a restaurant and forget to put it on until somebody reminds me this is still a very very serious situation we are in the middle still of a pandemic I hope we don't have another surge but that's always a possibility so final question is regarding uh having um, addressing this checklist that we've developed, uh, and and really from College Nine One One and and Corey Hausman, who is the young uh, freshman who passed away, whose mother Nanette started College Nine One One and woke us up through a USA Today article that our college freshmen typically don't have a medical power of attorney now putting on your 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 attorney hat and saying, okay, uh, medical power of attorney advanced directive, not only for our youth, but for our seniors. Number two, uh, being able to activate on our phone the switch so that if an emergency happens, that they, in case of emergency, folks get immediately contacted automatically. Uh, third, uh, to know where the best medical center is for emergencies, wherever you are, home or, uh, or on trip. And then finally, uh, having that medical record summary just in case so that doctors like Dr. Katzer will know that you have something pre-existing and it might save your life because it saves minutes. Your thoughts now, uh, you know, as a patient safety guy, but also as an attorney. 100% endorsing everything that's been said. But let me add to a couple of things. First of all, uh, for those of you who've got freshmen going in, uh, to a college that's not in the same city, uh, you know, the whole point is they've got to be able to handle their own new freedom. And uh, it's very, very important to have them sit down and say, okay, just as you've got to have the right books, and you've got to have the right computer and so on, before you go into class, you need to really talk about this. We only need to talk about it once. But there are also, in so many cases, if not every case that I know of, periods of time when your freshman or your college senior or whoever is going to be uh, out there on a field trip or going to be climbing in the mountains or in case of my younger daughter doing things that now I never recognize, I'm glad I didn't lose her, or traipsing all over New Mexico, uh, they are not thinking about their vulnerability because they're invulnerable. Uh, they might be wearing masks and thinking about the pandemic, but they're not thinking about what happens if they fall or if something else 
puts them in a position of needing immediate care. So this needs to be discussed with them and they need to know that there are certain things they cannot take for granted. And one of those is communication. We tend to think that we can communicate with each other anytime, any place, and you then run out of signal area, you've got nothing. So these, these are areas that need to be discussed with your college student uh, before going to that first class and before uh, saying goodbye to them and leaving them in the door. Fantastic. Uh, Chief, uh, uh, any last words before we go to Jenny as we close? Uh, this last section was on this critical checklist, and I think John's done a nice job of explaining why checklists are so important. But as you, uh, your message to the families of uh, first responders and the, the folks that you serve uh, regarding uh, putting together such a family checklist, and then we'll close with Jenny. No, I think, I think uh, John Nance said it beautifully. No one's a better expert and has used checklists more than he has. And uh, we use checklists in, in all of our planning and first responder work. Uh, we should use it in our homes. We provide all of the uh, guidance and checklists that they need through the website that, uh, through that, you, that you put together. You know, please take advantage of this information. Take advantage of the more detailed information that's available at our website. and. It'll be great, but you know, stay safe and take care of one another. Well, listen, thank you, gentlemen, for uh, for uh, your you kindly providing the the uh, uh, the help today. Uh, your expertise is uh, terrific, and we know that uh, so many of our uh, uh, of our audience uh, are people that are first responders and are caregivers. John, thank you for your uh, renewed commitment now to help some of our bigger companies uh, with their families and to to negotiate uh, uh, these challenges. And uh, Chief. Uh, uh, I'm always uh, amazed by how much you bring to the table as, as what I believe as one of our lead threat safety scientists is up on the job and, and, and doing it at one of our great medical centers. So we thank, uh, we thank both of you who have stayed with us to the end and we'll have Jenny Dingman close and we'll finish our webinar. We just want to remind everyone that there are probably two to two and a half hours of content on the webpage broken down into bites, you know, uh, uh, more than a bite, but less than a meal. So you don't have to watch the entire program as we've pre-recorded today. Many thanks. That was a great program. I just want to thank everybody who was here today. And I want to encourage you to share this when it's up online with all of your friends, relatives, and colleagues. Holiday season is my favorite time of year from October through early January, I'd say. This is a time when families and friends all get together and have cherished memories created. This program is going to help keep everyone safe, and I am just so thankful for it and so glad. Wishing everyone a very happy Thanksgiving, and God bless you all. Thank you again for being here. And thank you, Jenny, for all you do for patients and families. And that ends our webinar. Many thanks, y'all. Thank you.